It is good to be with you guys this morning. Welcome uh, to the Austin Stone. If you're in one of the campuses around the city, we're glad that you're joining us also. And uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles today to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible today, that's fine. We're going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. But we're continuing through our series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes were the list of actions and attributes that Jesus said would be showing up in the lives of Christians or new kingdom citizens. And today we're kind of beginning the home stretch of our Beatitudes series. This week and next week, we're going to be looking at the last two, the last two Beatitudes. Today we'll look at Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. And next week, we're going to look at blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what's interesting, I want you to hear this, what's interesting about these final two Beatitudes, in my opinion, I believe they're by far and away the most difficult ones to live out. And just for lack of better ways to describe it, I think these last two Beatitudes are kind of like varsity Christianity, In my 23 years of ministry, um, I have seen far too many people that have claimed the name of Christ. They said, yes, I'm a Christian, but when we were faced with the challenge of being a peacemaker in a situation or relationship where there was horrible conflict, or if they were faced with this call to be persecuted or this challenge of being persecuted in their life, they realized that it was a cost that they were not willing to pay. And I've seen them walk away far too often. And so I want you to keep that in mind over like this week and next week. And I want you to ask yourself this question. You should ask yourself this question. Do you really believe, do you really believe that the way of Jesus is the path to true blessing? Do you really believe that in your heart of hearts? Do you really believe that the way of Jesus is the way to true blessing? Because if you don't really believe that, if you don't believe it in your heart of hearts, I promise you, when the rubber meets the road, you will not be willing to live out these last two. You you will be faced with them and you will realize that the cost is too high and you will walk away. But at the same time, at the same time, keep in mind that Jesus said that if you are really his son, and if you're really his daughter, that you will walk out and live out these two. All right, so let's jump in together. Matthew chapter five, nine, let's read it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And let's look for a second about what Jesus is saying. What does he mean when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God, and then we'll kind of end today by applying that in our lives and talking about what that looks like for us. So let's let's leave this up here, and let's look at the word peacemaker together. Sorry, I've got some allergies working today. Notice that Jesus does not say there that blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a big difference there. And so while it's, it's certainly true that Christians um, are called to be people that keep peace in relationships where peace already exists, the word peacemaker carries with it the idea of a Christian bringing peace or, or being the, uh, the agent that makes peace in a relationship and environment where con- uh, conflict already exists. Okay, you're a peacemaker, and that's a much more difficult thing to do. 
All right, I want you guys to think about it. <clears throat> Say you're in a rela- relationship with someone, a family member, um, your spouse, you got a friend, a roommate, a coworker. <clears throat> it's one thing to be a peacekeeper, to keep the peace in that relationship, but it's something entirely more difficult when we're called to make peace in that relationship uh, when that relationship is in conflict, especially if that person that we're in conflict with is an enemy or somebody that hates our guts, all right? And so keep in mind, Jesus is saying here, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones that bring peace into that conflict. Now, let's look at what he says is gonna be the result of when we're peacemakers. When we bring peace, when we make peace in an area, arena, relationship where there's conflict, watch what he says. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, keep in mind, guys, that when Jesus said this, he was, the, he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He was the side of a mountain. There was a huge crowd. There were women in that audience. He was speaking to women here. And so, you know, keep in mind that he's, he's not saying this only applies to men. But what's going on there is in the culture, in that culture at that time, sons, specifically the firstborn son, was the one that always received the inheritance. And so while he's, he's basically, uh, he's not excluding women, but he's actually including women. He said, when you live this out, you're gonna look like your father and you're gonna be treated as a son. And we know in the Bible that women are co-heirs of Christ with men. And so he's speaking here to both women and men. And so from the rest, for the rest of the sermon, I'm just gonna say sons and daughters because he's talking to both of us. But I want you to notice something here. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Notice that he doesn't say blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called followers of God. He could have easily said that. He said, blessed are the peacemakers should be sons and daughters. And his point is this. If you're actually God's son, and if you're actually God's daughter, then your character and your actions are gonna look like your father's. If you're really his son, if you're really his daughter, then your character is gonna reflect the character of your father. Your actions are gonna reflect the character of your father. And over and over and over again, the scripture talks about our God, our heavenly father, being a God of peace. Over and over again. In Romans 16, 20, it says this. Paul says, the God of peace. He says he's the God of peace. will soon crush Satan under your feet. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Why do we live in peace? Paul tells us, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And so guys, all throughout the Bible, listen, God is described as peace. It's, it's, his, it's literally his character. It's his nature. Peace is is who God is, right? Now listen, peace is not only who God is, but peace, and specifically peacemaking, is what God does. It's one of the primary things that he does. When we were uh, created in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, we were at absolute peace with God and with each other. That was the original state in the garden. We were in a complete and total peace with each other and with God, but what happened? Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened is is that peace between us and God and that peace between us and one another was absolutely shattered, okay? But how did God respond? How did God respond when we sinned and that peace was shattered between us and him, right? Did he wipe us out? Did he just 
clear everything out and start over? Did he retaliate? No, what he did was he came to this planet and he put on our flesh and he died on a cross, the Bible says, so that he could make peace with us. In Colossians 1.20, it talks about this. It says, and through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether it's on heaven or on earth, making peace through the blood of the cross. And so the reason that we're called sons and daughters of God when we are bringing peace or we're making peace in a situation or relationship with there is conflict because when you do that, you are reflecting the actions and the attitudes of your heavenly father. There's nothing that looks more like a dad than his sons and his daughters, okay? <clears throat> and I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my children this week. I was thinking about what about the three of them makes me the proudest, And I realized that what makes me the proudest about my children is not that they share my DNA. But what makes me the proudest about them is when I see that they're sharing my character, or the best, rather, the best aspects of my character and my actions. I I, uh, saw a picture of my son, my oldest son, J.D., the other day. And I want to go ahead and show this to you. So he, by the way, he got accepted in A&M. Whoop, there you go. And uh, so he, uh, my wife took this picture of him. Leave that up for just a second. And the thing that kind of hit me when I saw this picture is that he and I look a lot alike at the age of 18. I know that's hard for you to realize now, but he and I look a lot alike at the age of 18. And I constantly remind him that I was prettier than him when I was 18, but he does not believe me. But the fact is that we look a lot alike. All right, you can take that down. And while it's cool, I think that's awesome that that we look alike and that Sammy and I look alike. Thankfully, my, my daughter looks more like my wife, but Sammy and JD look like me. But what moves my heart about my children when I see J.D. and and Annie and Sammy is not that they look like me, but when I see them reflecting the best aspects of my character and the best aspects of my nature and my actions. And a couple years ago, I could give an example of all three of my kids doing this at some point. But a couple years ago, specifically J.D., my oldest, he was on a a mission trip with our students to the Dominican Republic and staying the the downtown campus youth pastor asked him to stand up and kind of preach and, and share the gospel to a group of orphans. And, and I was at home. We were not there on the trip. And later that night, Stan texts me, and he said something to the effect of, he said, Matt, you're not going to believe what just happened. J.D. got up to speak, and when he started preaching, he said, man, just the spirit of God fell on him. And he said, Matt, whatever that thing is that you got, he's got it. And he said, he's obviously, he ended the text, he said, he's obviously your son. And so I don't, I don't know that I've ever been prouder of my son in my life than in that moment. He's done a lot of really cool things in his life, but, but when I see him reflecting the best parts of my character and my, and, and my actions, it makes me absolutely so proud of him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the reason... <clears throat> that you're not gonna be called a follower of God when you're peacemaking, but that you're gonna be called the son of God or a daughter of God. It's because there's very few things that you can ever do on this planet that better reflects the character and nature of Almighty God than when you are making peace in a situation where there is no peace, okay? And so, all right, let's stop here and let's talk about like, okay, what is, we're called to be a peacemaker. We're called to bring peace in a situation where there's conflict. What's, what's the goal of peacemaking? What is this peace word? What's it supposed to look like? What are we trying to accomplish? Well, listen to this. Listen carefully. 
The ultimate goal of peacemaking is not just the, the cessation of hostilities. Okay, the ultimate goal of you making peace with someone or in a situation is not just the cessation of hostilities, but it goes farther than that. It goes beyond that. The ultimate goal of peacemaking is reconciliation. It's not just the stopping of the conflict, but it's beyond that. It's actual reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, listen to this. Paul says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So think about it. When Jesus was on the cross, when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood, when he rose from the grave, he didn't just create an environment where the hostility between us and God stopped. But listen, what Jesus' death accomplished was greater than that. It went beyond that. What Jesus' death accomplished between us and God was absolute, complete restoration, a reconciliation of the relationship. His relationship actually restored, or rather his death restored our relationship with God completely back to its original state. That's what reconciliation means. And then Paul tells us that that's what God did with us. He didn't just stop the conflict, but he reconciled us. And then in turn, he says, I have given you, God says, the ministry of that same thing. Peacemaking doesn't just mean you stop the conflict. Peacemaking means you go all the way. It means that you attempt, as far as it's up to you, to create an original state of peace. It's important to remember, listen, that the word peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which carries like a far deeper meaning than just the stopping of a conflict. It's a word that means wholeness. It's a word that means flourishing. And so again, it doesn't mean the stopping of a conflict. It means that we pursue, if there's conflict between you and a person, you and a group of people, they hate you, whatever it is, that that's the goal, that that's where we're headed. We're not just gonna stop the conflict, but we're gonna move past that towards this complete picture of reconciliation. Okay, now, what I wanna do is, is I wanna begin here that we know what it is, what we're called to do, that we're to be the person that makes peace, that we're pursuing peace and that we're reflecting the character of God so that we'd be, we can be sons and daughters of God and then the thing that we're trying to accomplish and make is this total picture of restoration and so let's start applying this. Okay, what does this look like? How do we do it, all right? I think the first thing that we need to remember, again, we're reflecting God's character, we're reflecting God's actions, which means that we wanna try to make peace the way God makes peace, which means this. One of the primary ways that we can reflect him in our peacemaking is when we attempt to be the person that initiates reconciliation in a conflict, even if it's not our fault, okay? The first step, the first step that you have to take to be a peacemaker is that when you are in a conflict, you take the first step. The first step in, in being a peacemaker is that when conflict comes, you take the first step. And this is one of the main reasons, guys, that at the beginning of the message, I said that this is varsity Christianity. Because when you, when, when, to, to initiate peace, to be the, the peacemaker, to be the one that begins the process of making peace in a situation when you're in conflict, especially when you didn't start the conflict, that is not easy to do. Okay, when we're in conflict with somebody, especially if they were the ones that started or they were the ones that hurt us, what's our natural inclination? Our natural inclination is to want to hurt them back. Our natural tendency is to want to keep our distance, and fold our arms and give them the silent treatment till they repent first. 
But that's literally the opposite of what Jesus did with us. Okay, think about it. When we sinned against God in the garden, when we sinned against him, and that enmity, that hostility was created between us and God, who was the offending party? Well, it was us. It was our fault. We sinned against God, but God didn't fold his arms and sit back in heaven and wait for us to get our act together and make the first new move. We see in the scripture that he moved first, that he left heaven, and he came to earth in order to die on a cross for us. The scripture says that he left heaven to die on a cross to make peace with you and I. The Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter five, verse 24. Don't turn there, listen. He's talking about what this specifically looks like to be the initiator of peace and conflict. He says, if therefore you are presenting your altar or presenting your offering rather at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go, go your way. He says, first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering." Okay, Jesus says, if if somebody has something against you, if you're in conflict with someone, we don't go to church and pray that God would change their heart so they come make it right with us. Jesus says, if you're here and you're presenting your, your offering before the Lord and you remember, yeah, I'm in conflict with somebody, Jesus says, you get up. You stand up. You make the first move to go be reconciled with your brother. I don't know that there's a, a greater height of hypocrisy that we can walk in than when we're a person that comes and worships and, and, and worships God and loves God and, and praises God for the peace he's made with us. But then we refuse to go and be the initiators of making peace with other people, okay? And so that's kind of the first step to being a peacemaker is that you take the first step. Okay, continue to apply this. I think it's also important to remember that peacemaking with somebody else is not always gonna mean that you go to them with your hat in your hand and you apologize for something you've done. I think there's wisdom in always apologizing in a conflict, but it's not always gonna be, mean you're the one that kind of has to make things right in the sense that you're saying I'm sorry and, and not ever challenging somebody else because a lot of times conflict arises because of the sin of somebody else. Conflict arises because somebody else is in sin. And so what does peacemaking look like there? <clears throat> and sometimes you're gonna have to say hard and difficult things in order to bring peace. But I think the key here, what peacemaking looks like when you have to say hard and difficult things is to say those hard and difficult things peacefully. Too often when we're in conflict with another person because of their sin, then what we do is we sin in return. But Jesus is telling us that peacemaking looks like even in those situations, we approach those people peacefully, okay? Here's another thing it's important to remember is that the promise of Jesus is that there is blessing when we do this. And, and, and Tyler and I, downtown campus pastor, we were talking about this earlier that this is one of those beatitudes that when you're young and you haven't lived a lot of life and you haven't been in a lot of conflict yet, you read it and go, well, of course, there's blessing in being a peacemaker. 
And that sounds about right. You make peace, there's blessing there. But then what I've noticed is the more life you live and the more relationships that kind of go south and the more conflicts you've been in, you realize this is really, really difficult. And a lot of us spend a lot of our lives avoiding conflict because we don't want to deal with that person that's hurt us. And so we have to believe in our heart of hearts that what Jesus says is true, that there is actual blessing when we are the initiators to make peace, even if we're, we're the offended party. I think about my marriage. I think about the times that I've been in conflict with my wife, Jennifer. And especially those, time, those conflicts and those times when we were arguing and stuff when it wasn't my fault, which is most of the time, right? And uh, I'm just kidding. And, and those times when I think it's not my fault, what I do is I convince myself that the last thing I ever want to do is come with my hat in my hand and make peace. If I think she's the problem, if I think she caused it, But what Jesus is promising us, that even in that scenario, there's this blessing. The word means the highest form of blessing that a human being can experience is even when you're the offended party, if you take that step towards initiation or a reconciliation, rather. For years when when we would fight, neither one of us, neither one of us would, would be willing to kind of make that first move towards reconciliation. I'd stand there with my arms folded and say, you know what, you hurt me. So you need to change. So I'm gonna sit here so you get your act together. And then if you say you're sorry, then maybe I'll forgive you. And at the same time, she's doing the same thing. She goes, no, babe, you're the problem. You're the reason this started. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stand here, I'm gonna fold my arms and wait till you get your act together. Then when you say you're sorry, then maybe I'll forgive you, right? And so since neither one of us was willing to be the peacemaker, too often, we didn't have any peace. And over the years, one of the most, for those of you that are married, for those of you that are gonna be married, I want you to hear this. Just, this is just my one marriage here, but over the years, one of the single most transformational things that's ever happened to our marriage is when both of us became committed to being the person that made the first move in reconciliation. It's just, changed our marriage, that when both of us, regardless of who we think is at fault, both of us became committed to being the person to make the first move towards reconciliation. Now when conflict occurs, regardless of who's at fault, we're, we're both really trying at that point to make peace. And, and church, do you know how difficult, do you know how difficult it is to stay in conflict when both parties are trying to be peacemakers? It's impossible. I know it's crazy, but turns out that Jesus was right. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what sons and daughters of God do. A little side note here, a little side note here. I think this is one of the main reasons that the scripture calls us not to be unequally yoked, that the scripture calls us to not marry a non-believer. Because you wanna marry somebody that's poor in spirit. And you wanna marry somebody that mourns their sin. And you wanna marry somebody that demonstrates meekness, which is power under control. And you wanna marry somebody that hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they'll be satisfied in that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You wanna be a person that is merciful because they've been given mercy. You wanna marry somebody that's pure in heart because they will have seen God and all his majesty and beauty and power because when things get hard and they are going to get hard, I'm telling you at some 
sometime that a person that has seen God and seen his beauty and his poor in heart and his meek, they will want to pursue peace with you. Because Jesus has pursued peace with them. But if you're married to a person that's none of those things, when things get really, really hard, and the last thing in the world they're going to want to do is be the maker of peace with you. So I think that brings us kind of to a really important question. It's how do we be peacemakers with people that have absolutely no desire for reconciliation? Okay, talking about Jennifer and I, we're both filled with the Spirit. We both try to live out the Beatitudes. And so peacemaking, that's hard enough. That's one thing. But what do you do if one of the parties has absolutely no desire for reconciliation? What does peacemaking look like in those situations? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Watch this. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Look at that phrase. Paul's saying that, look, he knows. He knows that there are going to be situations where you want to reconcile, but the other party has absolutely no desire. So what does peacemaking look when when a person refuses to reconcile with you? I can think of, gosh, I can think of dozens maybe more than that, of examples of just kind of even in our church over the years of, of people that were trying to be peacemakers, but the other party, for whatever reason, that created an environment where peacemaking was impossible. I think about the married couple, and the husband is just being an absolute idiot. And he refuses to stop heavily drinking. He refuses to stop being abusive, and so for his wife to pursue that full shalom-style reconciliation is impossible. If she tries to pursue full-blown, you know, restoration of the original relationship back with a person that is walking like the devil, all she's doing is going to incur more abuse for herself. So what does peacemaking look like in that kind of situation? You have an adult daughter that's that grew up just being emotionally abused by her parents or father and and you know, it's She's in her 20s, and the dad has not changed at all. That relationship is still so toxic that shalom-style peacemaking is not possible. What does it mean to be a peacemaker in those kind of situations? <clears throat> Got a business partner. One of them, a uh, business deal goes south, and one of them is so hurt, so wounded, they have absolutely no desire for reconciliation. What does peacemaking look like there? What about somebody that hates you, and they actually hate your guts? Whether it's the color of your skin or your biblical beliefs, or whatever it is that um, they look at you and they hate you. What does peacemaking look like there? Well, interestingly, Jesus actually gives us some really specific things that we can do. And, and, and they're, gonna, they're hard, and they're, and they're kind of simple at the same time. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. But he says there's some specific things you can do when you encounter this person that's your actual enemy. Keep in mind here, and he says them later on in the Sermon on the Mount, He's speaking to Jewish folks here, and they would have automatically kind of taken in their mind this thought, who's my enemy? They would have thought about the Romans. These are people that are persecuting them. These are people that are making their lives miserable, and Jesus says, here's what you do when you encounter these people that are actually your enemies and actually persecuting you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
Okay, so this is later on, after he's talking about peacemaking, later on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if somebody takes your tunic, you give them your cloak. He said, if somebody walks up to you and makes you go a mile, and that's what the Romans would do, by the way, they would walk up to a, to a, um, a, a, a Jew and they would basically take the cloak off of them and, or, or their coat or whatever, and they would make them carry their armor for a mile. He says, if that occurs, you go two miles with them. And so Jesus kind of gives this example of people that are hurting you by stealing from you And while complete restoration might be impossible, what he says our response should be in that situation is that we respond in generosity. We respond in generosity. He says you don't take from them in return. You don't seek revenge. But rather you give back to them above and beyond what it is that they've taken from you. And here's the thing. As much as that stinks and as much as that's really difficult to do, that when you show generosity to a person that has taken from you, you are showing them what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. And that's what peacemakers do. That's what the sons and daughters of God are gonna do. He goes on in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you've heard it said, you've heard it said that you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I tell you, you love your enemies and you pray for those that persecute you. And so he's teaching us specifically here what peacemaking looks like when we're dealing with an enemy or someone that actually hates us. He said, the first thing you do is you don't hate them back. And I know that's hard because I, in times in my life when I've been like really hurt or really betrayed by somebody, my first sort of fleshly reaction is to loathe them. They hurt me. I don't like them. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't respond with hate, with hate. You respond with hate, with love. And then Jesus says you go beyond that. When somebody's persecuting, they've hurt you, they've betrayed you, you don't hate them. He says, but you actually pray for them. You pray for them. And you pray for them, and what happens that when you pray for somebody, because our first reaction is, is that we do not like somebody when they hurt us, and so how in the world do we not hate somebody that hates us? You pray for them, because when you pray for somebody that's persecuting you, I'm telling you what'll happen, God will change your heart. He may not change their heart towards you, but he'll change your heart towards them when you actually pray for them, and that will give you the ability to be a peacemaker in a situation with a person that hates your guts. Now listen, this is key. Praying for them does not mean that you pray something like, dear Lord, this person has hurt me, so I pray that you would kill them in the name of Jesus, amen. That's not what Jesus is saying when he's saying pray for those who persecute you. He actually says, you got this person persecuting in your your life, you pray for their blessing. You pray for their blessing. That's not easy to do, but I know that that's what he means. He's uh, Matthew 5, uh, 44, watch this. This is immediately after. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Watch what he says. So that you may be sons of your father. Where have we heard that? Be sons of your father in heaven. And he says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, there's a grace. It's like a common grace and a common kindness that God shows to people that are even his enemies. There's a grace and a kindness that God shows to people that hate his guts. He lets the sun rise up in the morning and warm the people's faces that hate him. He sends rain on the crops 
of people that can't stand him. And so his point is that you actually pray for the blessing of people that hate your guts. I shared this about a year ago. Um, I, got a, I got an email last year that was hands down. It, it won the award. It's the top most vicious email I've ever gotten in all my life. It was, it was so personally insulting. I mean, this guy studied me in order to insult me. And uh, it, it, just, it, it just absolutely, man, it crushed me. It crushed me. It hurt really, really, really bad. And I remember when I got the email, my first reaction was to write back and kind of just lay into him. And I remember I was so mad and I was so hurt. You ever been there? Where it's just, you're just shaking because it's, it's just messing you up. And I remember that somehow, some way, probably by the spirit of God, I just kind of stopped. I put my phone down and I started praying for the guy. And I remember, and this is just the leadership of the spirit in my life, but I remember praying for his blessing. I was like, Lord, I know this guy's hurting. Anybody that can write something like that, I know he's hurting. So I said, Lord, would you, would you, would you bless his life? Would you heal his heart? I don't remember what I said and what I prayed other than that, but I remember praying for his blessing. And as I was praying for his blessing, something started changing inside of me. I no longer wanted to seek revenge. I no longer wanted to hurt him in return. My heart started changing for this guy. And I didn't hate him anymore. And I was able to write a response email where I just responded and just really was super kind to the guy. And what's interesting is that when I responded in kindness, he did, I didn't hear from him for months and months and months. And then months later, he sent a response back to me where he said he was sorry. And we've talked three times since then. Complete reconciliation. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that you get in that place when somebody hates your guts, you love them, and you pray for their blessing, that'll change your heart towards them and give you the ability to make peace if it's possible. <clears throat> Last one, it's really kind of straightforward, but it's hard. And so keep in mind that Jesus was the one that said this. In Matthew five forty-seven, he said, and if you greet your brothers, or excuse me, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than other people? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In other words, he's talking about when you actually kind of encounter these people that hate your guts or that you're in conflict with or your, your enemy. How do you respond to them in a face-to-face encounter? Jesus is talking about what peacemaking looks like toward a person where full reconciliation might not be possible, but you actually encounter them. He says when you meet them face-to-face, this is really simple, but it's not easy to do. He said you respond to them in kindness and civility. You, you, you respond to them in kindness and civility. Our natural inclination when we see somebody that hates us or hurt us, we want to glare at them, ignore them, we want to lay into them. He said what peacemakers will do is they will look their enemy in the eye and they will greet them with kindness and sincerity. You know, and I was thinking about like what are some of the examples that we can actually kind of start going applying this and then it hit me, this week is Thanksgiving. And what do we do on Thanksgiving? We go home and we get around all these people that many of us sometimes are in conflict with, you know, and, um, and what I'm noticing, and I realize there's a trend in America right now that where people, instead of going home and, and having to face or deal with all the conflict and drama of their family is they're running from it. It's called Friendsgiving. Instead of people, instead of hanging out with the people that have hurt you, right, 
you just get a bunch of people around you that have never hurt you. And it's a lot more fun. And I get it. There's nothing inherently sinful about that at all. But the, the, and that's why I said this is the hard stuff. This is when it gets hard because what Jesus is saying is that his sons and daughters are not gonna run away and avoid conflict, but his sons and daughters are actually gonna walk towards conflict. Not to make it, but when conflict's there, to actually pursue and be the makers of peace. And so here's the thing. It means when true reconciliation is a possibility, you take the first step to make peace. But if that's not a possibility, then you pray for that person. You pray for their blessing. And so God will change your heart towards them. Okay? Then you, when you greet those people, you greet them with kindness and civility. And then you show them generosity. You bring your racist uncle at Thanksgiving a piece of pie this year. I've been praying for you. Just wanted you to know. Just kidding. But I'll end with this. This is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. I'm dealing, with, I'm, I'm dealing with two. I found out the second one last night. There are two family members in my family right now. They don't listen to my podcast, so I'll talk smack, smack about them right now. But um, two family members right now that are refusing to come to Thanksgiving. These are Christians because they're in conflict with this particular person, and they refuse to come. And I've even challenged one of them. Said, and I was preparing for the sermon. I sent them this long text going, hey, here's the Bible. What do you think? And their response was, you know, at what point do you, do you draw the line? At what point do you draw the line? When if a person keeps hurting you and they don't repent, at what point do you draw the line and you're just done with them? And I said, I said that's a good question, but here's the thing. I, some of you are probably sitting here thinking that same thing, thinking, you know, Matt, I'm, I'm hearing this, but I just don't know if I can do this. And if that's you, I want to read one more verse to you. It's Ephesians 2.13. Paul said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says, for he himself is our peace. Now listen. He said, he himself is our peace, that's Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul said that Jesus Christ is himself our peace and he tore down the wall of hostility between you and him. He is, he is our peace. I want you to understand that. What Paul is saying that is that peace is not just a thing, but peace is person. And his name is Jesus. And the reason that peacemaking is so hard is because you have this person that's standing right in front of your face that has wounded you or wronged you and hurt you. That's why it's so hard. They're right there. And it hurts so much. But what Paul is saying is that you gotta look past the person that's right in front of you. You gotta look beyond them and see the person that you wronged. Look past the person that's wronged you and see and look into the eyes of the person that you sent to the cross because of your sin and yet made peace with you anyway. And then when you're looking in the eyes of not the person that's wronged you, but when you're looking into the eyes of the person you've wronged but made peace with you, how else in the world could you respond? Jesus said that's what the sons of God 
and the daughters of God are going to do. Start celebrating Christmas here in just a few days. And I was thinking about on the night that Jesus started this whole thing, on the night that he put on our flesh and was born into this world, his name is Emmanuel. It means God with us. Emmanuel, God came to be with us for that one reason, to tear down the wall of hostility and to make peace with us. On the night that he was born, thousands of angels joined in a song. And the song said this, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. (laughs) I can't think of a, a greater time in my entire life when the world needs that. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Maybe it's time we joined the angels' song. Let's be sons and daughters of God. Let's be the people that bring peace into a world that desperately needs it. All right, let's pray.